So here's what actually happened. Howard and I were just like, hey, we should talk about uh, American Sniper one day. And then we just actually started talking about it. And it's going to become the intro to a podcast. Right. So it, it, it you're is. actually part of a very authentic moment right yeah, there. Yeah. We're just talking about it, like just talking about it. Dude, that was the most awkward ending of a movie I have ever been at. Right. Dead silence. That's how it was for us, dude. Nobody talked. And then they showed the pictures. Oh, my gosh, of the procession. It was a 200-mile procession. 200 miles, dude. All right. So it may have been that every showing was sold out. And so uh, Joe and I didn't go until... 9.45 and it was 12.30 at night and maybe I was a bit emotional because of the time. I don't know. But right. dude, I was holding back just plain straight weeping Yeah, when that live footage, like the real footage of yeah. the processional. I thought that man. was the most moving part. But yes. they, they said it was 200 miles of procession from, from Arlington, Texas where his uh, funeral was and they, they filled that stadium and then all the way to where they buried him. 200 wow. miles people are alongside the road and you saw this fire truck yeah with the, with the, with the ladders extension ladders yeah. with the flags uh, amazing would, yeah. no I remember when that happened I didn't I didn't draw the connection though I had no idea that I was going to watch a movie about that guy wait oh okay so you remember about that guy but you didn't know it was that guy in this right movie. no I remember when a Navy SEAL died um, I remember watching the procession and just thinking this is very moving yeah. to see that many people that kind of response and, 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 and not only, feeling the emotion even then right and not only that like Jeff you remember when he was talking about what typically happens when the Navy SEAL kind of goes out and writes a book or whatever right he gets blackballed but uh, did you see his casket you know how they they, uh, they take the trident pin that gold pin that has the Navy SEAL trident right. that you get after uh, a butts after, actually after you're totally a part of a nail Navy SEAL Team 6 or Navy SEAL Team and they, they hammer it into the casket right and most funerals you'll see like 6, 7, 8 of yeah. those tridents his, his casket was covered covered in SEAL pins wow like I, all these SEALs had come down and hammered those their pins into that casket it yeah, was crazy I think that I think that's how it ended wasn't it like the boom the final hit and right then right it, yeah. yeah and I just remember it being dead silent So how do you come back from that, from being a sniper? And then, you know, what our show is about is reaching Muslims. And this guy, you know, of course, Chris Kyle has spent his career uh, killing insurgents, uh, people that are trying to attack his um, his groups that he's protecting, like the right. Marines and the Army. Right. And uh, he he's seen evil things. He describes it in his book. I read his book and watched the movie. And so he, he describes these things and he describes these certain men as evil, like evil. Mm-hmm. And so, like, how do you come back from that? Doing what we do and him doing what he does, it's kind of like this real extreme, um, you know, separation between the way we think and the way he thinks, even though he considers himself a God-fearing man. Right. Uh, Christian, sure. loves Jesus, reads the Bible, you know, that kind of thing. So it's really interesting. I, I don't know this book really hit me because at the same time, like, I love America. I love Well, once again, Muslim terrorists a terrorist have slaughtered innocent Islamic people. Extremists now control much of the country. Their brand of justice is brutal and deadly. The flash, America. 
these Muslim extremists are, uh, are alive and well, they are not dead, and their video is not gratuitous, and it certainly is not irrelevant. It is a warning. Welcome to the Truth About Muslims podcast, the official podcast of the Zwemer Center for Muslim Studies, where we help to educate you beyond the media. Here are your hosts, Howard and Trevor. All right, so we've got a, we've got a great interview today. We are going to be calling a personal friend. Great friend. Yeah, family member, actually. Not mine, but Trevor's, yeah. Yeah, you kind of like family. He is my family. I yeah. love that guy. So we're going to call a Navy SEAL, retired Navy SEAL, SEAL team instructor. Uh, can't give a whole lot of detail about what SEAL team he was on and when he served or any specifics about combat missions, but just to say that we're going to have a Navy SEAL's perspective on uh, what is it like to be a Navy SEAL, um, specifically uh, his faith. He's got an interesting story that we're going to kind of unfold today, which is what does it mean to be a Navy SEAL and also love Jesus? Right. Are they mutually exclusive? Actually, a lot of people would ask that question. Yeah. And I think American Sniper kind of awoke in the, uh, those questions for people. Right. Because he was uh, apparently a man of faith and also was tasked with a very difficult job. So we'd like to get this guy's opinion. So let's give him a call. All right, this week's sponsors. CIU. CIU. CIU educates people from a bib- biblical biblical world review. World view. World view. CIU educates people from a biblical worldview to impact the nations with the message of Christ. Oh, like the sound quality. It's iPhone. I hope he answers. Oh, maybe that's the voicemail. <laughs> Hello? Jeff. Jeff. Hey. What's, What's up, up, brother? What's up, Howard? Nothing. I'm just excited about talking to you, man. <laughs> you like to talk to old people, too, huh? <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's right. We don't think you're old. And, and we're getting up there, too. <laughs> I, I just yeah, turned 38. I thought it was pretty cool to talk to my grandma when she, right before she passed away, too, just so I could figure oh, out what wow. was happening back in the day. <laughs> we're, we're not looking at this as a last interview thing before you die kind of thing. <laughs> right. Last words of wisdom is uh, before you hit the grave. <laughs> so It feels like it with this weather. What's going on? Uh, well, you know, with the American Sniper, did you, did you see the movie yet? Are you going to yeah, see the movie? I just... I just saw the movie this last weekend. Ooh, great. Good. Because yeah, Howard and I both saw it uh, this past weekend, and it just it really stirred a lot, I think, for both of us, considering what we've been talking about um, on the show for the last, uh, gosh, it's been like 16 weeks doing this. And Howard, just share a little bit about some of the things that you, you realized when you were reading the book, and then as you watch the movie, and then we'll, we'll get to kind of hearing Jeff's view on it. Right. So, uh, you know... As I was reading the book, he, he used language like, you know, savages and how evil they were, right? And, and I would have to agree, you know, that they're the people that he was kind of dealing with, um, the insurgents, uh, these guys that were just, you know, violent, you know, in some of the things that they were doing. Uh, but at the same time, I was thinking, like, how does he come home and uh, be a Christian and continue to love people uh, when his mindset has been, you know, like, so altered? you know, the way he looks at people 
And, uh, and so I, I don't know, that's kind of the question that kind of sticks in my head. How do you come back from that and, and love people like Jesus tells us to love people? And when Howard asked well, me, I basically said, I have no clue, but I think I know a guy who would. And so that's <laughs> what we're calling him. <laughs> so tell us a well, little bit. Know, yeah, go for it. Back, back when, uh, during Vietnam, and guys would get a flight back to the States, there was a lot of problems with that. Uh, a lot of guys had PTSD. Nobody recognized it. Uh, and then in the earlier stages, uh, you know, when I first was active duty, uh, we'd go out and do missions in other countries and fly right back into country and go home and be with a family, and it was difficult. But right now, uh, as part of Special Forces, what guys do now after their deployments, usually a nine-month deployment, is they'll take a month to decompress in a, uh intermediate area. Uh, in between where the fight's at and before they come home, they'll, they'll have to spend two to three weeks decompressing from the war zone before they come back with a, with, uh, and, and they're with family. And what they found out is because they can decompress and get stuff off their shoulders and think about things and kind of, kind of get everything back into perspective, they've got a lot less issues when they get home. Hmm. So knowing that they didn't have that um, when you were active duty and working in special forces, what was the process like? Um, first, just just going out there, I mean, did, was it kind of a, we've got to get ourselves fired up? Did you have to have sort of uh, a story of who the enemy was? I mean, what was that process like as a, as a special forces officer uh, working in, in the military? Well, a lot of times um, you would know specifically, well, when I was, when I was first active duty, um, it wasn't like it is today where you're going out and you're going out in a big convoy. I was with, uh, you know, in, in, I was with SEAL Team 3 and with SEAL Team 6. And when we went in, basically we had a specific mission. And if we got in a firefight, most of the time things had gone really bad. Hmm. A, success, a, a successful mission meant we got in, did whatever we needed to do, and then got back without anybody knowing we were there. And that was the whole goal. Um, the SEALs were a lot more secretive back then, and uh, I think things worked out a lot better than when there was less publicity about the missions and everything we do. So what was the feeling like knowing that you guys had engaged in something and nobody else knew about it? That's got to create some sort of uh, feelings for individuals that are participating in such huge things and nobody knows. Yeah, it, it's uh, y- you wonder to yourself, well, will will people ever know? Um, you know, it's there's there's a lot of uh, uh, humility in there, and uh, I've talked to uh, Trevor about this be- before. But uh, we called the the seals on the West Coast the Hollywood seals, the ones that just wanted the fame <laughs> and fortune, and the ones that were on the East Coast, the, the ones that had two, four, six, and ten, they were actually the operational guys that would go to war every day and then come back, but. Uh, it's it it was it was different back then because if if you were looking at it to get the fame and fortune and and to to get recognition for what you were doing it was looked at really bad and you were put in a you know certain category whereas uh if you were uh just wanted to be operational be you know full of mud and out and fighting the good fight then uh you were looked at a lot different Chris Kyle in his book he kind of talks about like why he wrote the book and I I kind of understood that uh, um, seals got blackballed whenever they went 
you know, sold a book or movies or whatever. But Chris Kyle was like, you know, somebody else is going to tell this story and they're not going to honor the people um, that I fought alongside with or saw that, you know, had lost their lives. And so I wanted to do that. Um, do, do SEALs just generally look at that as like, uh, he's lying? He just wants to get famous? Or, you know, do they really take that in, uh, into consideration? Well, personally, I, I took that into consideration. And there have been some SEAL books, you know, that... Uh, uh, these guys just come out with eye disease. You know, I did this, I did that, I did this. <laughs> eye disease. But, I like that, eye but, disease. <laughs> but uh, Chris really didn't. Chris told the story, and uh, uh, I, I, I kind of felt about it uh, the same way as uh, uh, the guy who shot bin Laden. He's basically telling the story for a reason, not for himself, not for the fame and fortune, but just getting the story out there. Um, so people know uh, basically what families go through and what uh, what seals go through. You know, Jeff, and and thinking about eye disease, I think Howard and I would both fully agree that we know a lot of different you know guys in our lives, and you are like the least eye disease infected person I think I've ever met. Yeah, like, you have agree. every reason to have eye disease, and right. we have yet to find it. Right, I agree. I well, agree. You, but you know, and it's it's completely opposite of what you need to be like before you jump out of a plane at 35,000 feet in the middle of the night with oxygen on and a full rucksack. I mean, you've got to think to yourself, okay, I'm bulletproof. Nothing's going to happen. You know, you got to be completely at the opposite side. And I realized a long time ago, gosh, you know, uh, I, I, I don't want to be like that because I'd seen a lot of other people that were like that. And, uh, I just recognized that it wasn't, wasn't, uh, uh what God wanted for me. Yeah, so I did notice that in the book. Um, <clears throat> also, Lone Survivor, Marcus, Marcus Luttrell. Um, both of those books, in the beginning, it's just you get this sense that they really had to be convinced that they were bulletproof. And so you're talking right. about how it's like detrimental to your faith and what God has called you to do. So like, what did you have to do to kind of uh, go down that journey to, to ch- kind of change the way you thought about yourself? Well, at first, I wasn't a very strong Christian when I was doing stuff, so... When, uh, for example, I was parachuting, um, you know, you're always going through in your mind uh, all the malfunctions that could happen, you know, as you're pulling your parachute, as you're under canopy, as you hit the ground, as you're going in to do the mission, as you're flying up in the plane, is something going to happen to the plane? But I always, uh, I wasn't really a Christian. I was more of a deal maker with God. God, if you get me through this. <laughs> and I think I could say the Lord's Prayer in probably about 10 seconds. Nice. You know, our Father, who art in heaven, hell would be in the name of King. You know, I wanted to spend the rest of my time worrying about what was going to happen. You know, so so most of my earlier time was spent making deals with with God. Basically, Lord, if you get me out of this situation, I'll do this. Lord, if you if you land me safely, or if you you know don't let that bullet hit me, I'll you know, basically, uh, uh, be a priest and devote my life to you for the rest of my life. Just get me out of this one thing. And then, uh, after that one thing was gone, then, uh, basically I just forgot all about, you know, any deal that I made with the Lord and, uh, until, uh, until probably about three quarters of the way through my career. So what, what was the moment, Jeff, uh, that really changed everything? Well, um, I was, uh, I was a SEAL instructor and uh, basically just uh, thinking, thinking myself bulletproof, still making deals with God. And my uh, daughter, uh, Trevor's beautiful wife, Katie, told me I ought to go to this uh, church Easter play. 
And wow. so uh, I went to the church and sat in the back pew close to the back doors where I could get out in a hurry. And uh, basically they were putting on a passion play. And when the soldiers came down to get Jesus out of the Garden of Gethsemane, they had live torches in their hand. And when they walked by me in the aisle, I felt that heat hit the side of my face, and I felt as if the Lord was telling me, Jeff, that's where you're going because you don't have a relationship with me. Wow. And that's the moment everything in my life changed. Because I realized I don't want to go to hell. I want to, I want to have a relationship with Christ, and that's when my life changed. And basically, that's about the same time that I got out of the Navy uh, on a Friday, and on Monday joined the Air Force and uh, started my two-year pararescue career. So was your coming to faith, did that have anything to do with shifting from maybe more of an offensive, combative combative role to now you're rescuing people? Is that at all related to your, your faith journey? I think it did, but I think it was all part of God's plan, too. Um, I, when, I, when I look back on it, of course it does, because, you know, I was jumping out of the planes and, and diving and, you know, shooting and looting and going, you know, going after bad guys uh, as a SEAL. And then uh, once I got saved and crossed over in the Air Force, now I was going in uh, rescuing guys and rescuing down pilots and, you know, going uh, 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 ships that went down and planes that went down. And uh, the motto was uh, that others may live with a little angel, you know, so uh, it was all God's perfect timing. And was that a relief, like switching, like, like, thank goodness that I don't have to take anyone's life, or was it more like, oh, this is just, you know, part of my job in the military? Well, it, what switched was I wasn't making deals with God anymore. Hmm. Now I realized when I was, for example, uh, when I accidentally, you know, after after I was a Christian and in the Air Force as a PJ, um, I was uh, out in a Humvee out in the desert, and I drove over some landmines, and they didn't go off. And wow. I realized God is just taking care of, you know, just taking care of me. I realized, you know, it wasn't where I had to make a deal with him anymore. I was, you know, I'm one of his children. He's taking care of me. He's watching over me. Can, can we ask about that story, driving over landmines? Like, what What exactly? Yeah, yeah. How, did, what, <laughs> How did that happen? Well, blow by blow. What had happened? <laughs> What had happened, it was uh, in the earlier days of Iraq, and myself and my commander moved, were moving real for, uh, far forward in the desert. Um, basically, it was when the inspectors were in there looking for uh, bombs and stuff like that. Right. We were there to basically get those guys out if they needed to get out in a hurry. And we went to this camp that was way, way out in the middle of nowhere, and I dropped off my commander at a tent with all these other commanders for a briefing. And then I went to go park the Humvee and got lost. Like I always do, even in Walmart, I got no sense of direction. <laughs> and, uh, I, I came up over the top of this ridge and these two guys are staring at me with their mouths wide open. And I thought, Oh boy, I'm in trouble. I'm not supposed to be here. So I pulled over and I parked the, the, the Humvee and I went and I found where we were briefing and I crashed out for the night. But the next morning I woke up. And uh, I came outside my tent. There's a big commotion, and uh, a bunch of guys were pointing right next to my tent. There was some Humvee tracks, the ones that I'd made the night before, and all around the Humvee tracks were landmine signs. But I didn't Whoa. see them because they were at night, but I'd driven right through that, and everybody was amazed that a vehicle had drifted. 
through there. And at that time, I just pictured an angel on each tire just saying, how many times are we going to have to do this for this guy? Are we going to save his life? Constantly <laughs> saving his life. He's making deals. <laughs> Watch out for this guy's a 24-hour thing. <laughs> now, now, I know you can't share any details about combat missions as a SEAL. Are you able to give any details about where you've done some work, um, maybe contract work uh, in Iraq, anything that you've experienced not being a Navy SEAL that's kind of changed your views on how war happens? Well, yeah, one of the one of the big things that happened is when I was civil. Once I was civil service, I was in Fallujah, and I was putting in smart cameras around the base. And uh, this was something like I'd never done before. I was with uh, conventional forces. I wasn't with special forces anymore. I was putting them in for regular army, regular marine uh, guys out in Camp Fallujah, and uh, we started getting uh, bombed and mortared. And, uh, I, I, I just, it was, it, it started, you know, like day two that we were there and then just started picking it up. But it was, uh, especially on Sunday morning, hmm. it would be like about a dozen different mortars going off all around the camp, but they were indiscriminate. And, uh, it would land, you know, whether it landed at the little store that they had, whether it landed on the medical facility, whether it landed on the chapel one time. I mean, you never knew where these bombs were going to hit. And I'd never been in a situation before, uh, where, where it was just indiscriminate who got killed. And so these, what the, what the, uh, I believe it was the Sunni were doing, what they were driving past and they would jump out of their vehicle, uh, you know, about a mile away and they'd launch a rocket towards the base, get back in their vehicle and keep driving. And so these, you know, uh, we had construction battalion guys on the base that as soon as these rockets went off, they would go over, you know, clean up the bodies, clean up the blood and everything like that, just to try to keep morale up in this camp. Oh my but it gosh. got to the point where this was a it was a daily daily thing, and uh, you know whether you're go you know there's constant you know if after uh, you know the first one to go off everybody tried to hit the bunkers, but uh, you never knew where that 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 you know how close it was going to go off that first one. Yeah, there was a minute in the in the movie when I was watching and and the American snipers communicating with his wife and trying to say everything's fine. And I had, I had just flashed back because I remember when you were in Fallujah and you would call home. And I was actually, Katie and I were staying at the house at that time. We had just come off the mission field. And yeah, and just remembering thinking you were basically, everything's fine. Yeah, everything's great. And then I would get on the phone when you're like, man, pray for me. So the show wouldn't be possible without sponsors. And this week's sponsors are... Zwammer Center. Zwammer Center. Zwammer Center. The Wemmer Center. Center. And what does the Zwemmer Center do? Uh, talks about Muslims and, and tells them on the computer that we love you. Very nice. The Zwemmer Center equips the church to reach Muslims. The Zwemmer Center has been educating people about reaching Muslims before it was cool. Yeah, and just remembering, thinking you were basically, everything's fine, yeah, everything's great. And then I would get on the phone when you're like, man, pray for me. It is not fine. <laughs> it is not that. fine. thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to, to Katie and I Ellen, it was little, very, yeah. I had my little satellite phone, and every time 
a mortar would hit, it would give me enough time to just hit the off button, you know, when I was talking to, you know, talking to anybody else. But I knew I needed prayer, and I was telling everybody else everything was fine. But uh, once you got on the line, I tried to just, like, spill my guts to you, pray, pray as hard as I can, pray now. That's crazy. <laughs> so you mentioned that this was a very different experience. It, what, for our, it was, help us understand the difference. It, it actually uh, didn't make sense to me. So when I got back from that trip, um, my wife, Ellie, said, uh, you know, that I had changed. I was really cold. I was different. Wow. And she thought I was fooling around on the side because I was just different. I didn't realize anything was different, but uh, I, I, I remember thinking to myself how indiscriminate everything was and how it just, you know, any second just could be boom, and you really don't even hear the boom. You're just gone. But uh, she said that uh, I became distant, and uh, that, that you know, I, I mean, I, I was still working out, and I was still running and stuff like that, trying to deal with stress working out, but uh, uh, it wasn't until uh, a few years after that when I was finally diagnosed with PTSD, and it just made so much sense to me that... Uh, this is why I get anxious. This is why I feel like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to have a panic attack or I'm going to have a heart attack. And now that I've learned what it is and what it's from, and um, I'm obviously on meds for it, but uh, it's it's just uh, uh, whenever I, I, I get anxious or have a feeling like, you know, something's going to happen, someone's coming around the corner or this is about to happen, I just, you know, think about the Lord, say Jesus to myself, and I just got a calm about me now that I realize what it is. And it's just, your mind can just go so many places and, you know, you don't even know it's doing it. So but, you, uh, so you developed you developed PTSD, not an active duty, but later. Exactly. Because on active duty, like I said, you know, if we had to get in a firefight, the mission was basically, you know, a failure. Right. So you so, just didn't you just didn't find yourself in those positions and exactly, wow that's crazy. Exactly. But I did I did find myself in the position where you know I'm always uh, you know they trained you to scan for threats you know so when you walk into a room I, I still find myself looking to see what everybody has in their hands because that's the the way you're trained when you're going into rooms to to get people or to you know get hostages out. You're always looking, just like a cop does, for a weapon in the hand. Hmm. The first thing you're looking for. So, so when we're driving, my wife says, "Now I know." You know, after watching that movie, she goes, "Now I know why you're, you know, still looking two miles down the road when you're driving down there, and you're worried about that truck that's way up there." You know, it's it's just trying to perceive those danger areas still in the back of your mind. Mm-hmm. You need to be able to yeah. teach Howard some of that. Sometimes I think he's unaware of the situations around him. I'm always unaware. That's why I'm so happy. <laughs> I'm happy all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jeff, Jeff, nowadays you're working with the Marine Corps and Special Forces. Yeah. What's the story that kind of is in the military regarding Muslims. How does all this connect your faith in, in Muslims? Because I know, you know, with Katie and I and our and our love for Muslims, and we've talked a ton 
about what does it mean to be a follower of Christ and the mission of God, but how does all this work for you, being, you know, Navy SEAL, Special Forces, and now training Special Forces, when there's definitely a story in the military regarding the Muslim world? Well, you know, uh, the the Muslims are just such a small threat to, I, I work for MARSOC now, the Marine Special Operations Command, and it's just that's just a small area that they're thinking. I mean, they're thinking China, they're thinking North Korea, they're thinking Philippines. Their missions are all over the world. And what I've noticed about the Christians that I'm working with is those are the strongest operators. They have an inner strength and inner fortitude where they're going to do the very best that they can possibly do because they're doing it for Christ. Whereas other guys are the guys that, well, I'm just going to do this for a few years and then find something else. They don't really have the devotion to um, do their best as as you would for Christ. So uh, I, I can recognize a lot of the warriors that we have here at Marsat just because of uh, uh, the way they act, because they are Christians. In, in, from a soldier's perspective... Um, like, uh, you know, I do, I do hear like how you're talking about their work ethic, their passion to do their very best for, uh, Christ. Do you, do you feel like from a soldier's perspective, they have a problem, uh, with the kind of work that they do? Because, you know, a lot of it is, uh, is war and war is taking lives and, and conquering, you know, um, you know, battles and, 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 and things like that. Do they have a hard time, uh, you know, putting that together with Christ? You know, it, that's, that's where the decompression comes in. Um, there are, there are some that have, there's, there's a lot of, uh, explosive ordnance guys that I work with mm. that, uh, have, whether it be shell shock, you know, from an explosion and <laughs> they don't like to say they have it cause they're not supposed to have it if they're an EOD guy, but, uh, <laughs> still, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> a lot of, a lot of those guys, they, they do exhibit. Uh, pretty severe symptoms if they aren't Christians. Now, the ones that are Christians, complete opposite, you know, still devoted to duty. They're able to put things in place in their mind and to put that uh, that action that they've got to do into place and into perspective with, you know, why God has put them on this earth. You know, God wants them to do the best job that they can. Even so as they're soldiers. they're not doing that. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Just just like being a cop, just like being a firefighter. God wants you to run into that fire and save people. He wants you to go get the bad guys, go get the booger eaters, you know? So right. uh, you're going to do the <laughs> best you can, you know, with the training that you got. Right. And and so yeah. with, uh, with you know, of course, you've been on the ground over there uh, in the Middle East, too. Uh, what 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 happens? Like, I, I, I see soldiers uh, making friends with uh, interpreters. Like, I hear a lot of the interpreter stories that are coming, kind of coming back. Um, and then on the same side, you know, they have uh, uh, insurgents. You know, like, so how are soldiers uh, separating uh, the two? Uh, do they just use terms, like you said, like bad guys, and then there's the good guys, but they're still kind of the same religion, same, you know, people? Yeah, I think, it, especially for, for like, when I was overseas, you're in, and you're, you know, going down the street, not everybody's bad guys. You've got a mission to get one guy. Mm. So what you think about the people around you are 
are the same you think about you know when you're in the states about the people you know that are around you 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 feel compassion for the children and the and the women you know and and the men you you think of skeptically uh, like they said in the movie you know military age type men right you 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 kind of uh, you 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 try not to but you are stereotyping because it could be a threat right and uh and for these guys to experience like he did like Kyle did in the movie a threat from a child or from a woman that's got to be very very difficult because that's not that's not very common and that's not not what you train for yeah i think that was one of the most intense scenes when the the little boy picks up the the rocket launcher right and, and he's like don't pick it up don't yeah, pick it up yeah because i think from what you're saying jeff and i hadn't really thought about this but in some ways soldiers get to see a more well-rounded view of the Muslim world because they do interact with Muslims that aren't the bad guys than maybe even some Americans who only get media. Right. Exactly. Exactly. They do. And and what we would always try to do is interact with uh, with the local populace because you're you're trying to fit in and the the big military you know win the minds and hearts. You know that that's uh, that's something that uh, I think that well the military's put it out in policy is what they want to do, but I think that's all been a part of all uh, you know uh, for example training the other forces. We go on a lot of exercises, uh, uh, special operations guys do, and work with other special operations in other countries. And to go to these guys' house and to share meals, I mean it's just so special. You you you, you ne- you're never you know you're never going to experience this type of. Uh, uh, hospitality or this type of treatment ever again, and it's different in every country you go to, and right. so you try to experience as much as you can. And if you're not doing that, you're just uh, uh, sitting back at the camp or, or sitting back in the tent, and uh, you know it's you're not getting as much as you could out of uh, out of the deployment or, or or what you should be doing out there. Yeah, I I just I just see like how much of a struggle this must be for the soldiers because on one hand they do they do uh, experience the hospitality like the friendships and like just you know the the beauty of of the people and, and what they do, but at the same time, um, everyone's a potential uh, dangerous person, right? A, a potential uh, um, uh, enemy, and I, it must just it just must drive them crazy uh, to be able to open up their hearts completely. You know, and uh, and and just enjoy the experience. Obviously, it's not sightseeing; they have, they're there for a job. But at the same time, right. the government's like, "Hey, you know, we want to win their hearts and minds too." And I can see how the soldiers would struggle with that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and uh, back when I was active duty too, uh, I remember I spent a lot of time uh, over in Asia and with the families and the people over there. And but we'd come, we'd you know, we'd be right back in the United States the next day. Uh, you know, after whether I was in uh, Malaysia or, you know, after drug runners or something like that, uh-huh. I'd be back in the States and then interacting with regular people, somebody do something to tick me off. And I just think to myself, you know, if this was the day before yesterday, you know what I would have done? <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's a lot different. So, so that decompressing really, that, that really is key for these guys coming back now. I just want listeners to know what it was like to date, you know. Katie is a 15-year-old knowing that uh, Jeff was a Navy SEAL. Pretty intense. intense feel. I'm feeling him right now. 
<laughs> Jeff, tell us a little bit about the uh, the ministry that you've been involved with here lately and some of the, the things that you got to participate in for soldiers that do return home. Yeah, I uh, our church uh, said that, hey, this guy is putting together a program to help uh, people with PTSD, and so uh, I got in contact uh, with this organization, and uh, uh, gosh, I wish I could give you the website. It's The website's still coming up to speed, but uh, it, it, they've got different uh, uh, soldiers from different fights, different, you know, uh, uh, airmen, they've got Marines, they've got uh, SF soldiers, and we're all talking about how the Lord has moved in our life um in regards to PTSD and how he has turned all that pain that we have experienced into something that we can deal with now and something that we could understand. So, so uh, they've got a, a institute. It's called the PTGI Institute. Uh, like I said, the website isn't up and running yet, but we've got Bibles out. Um, they've, they've probably made, they said, I think 8,000 of these uh latest print Bibles with the different testimonies from the guys inside of them. Uh, they're moving into the prison ministry with a lot of these Bibles, but they've also got permissions from the Joint Chiefs of Staff to give them to uh, all everybody in the Army, Navy, Air Force, and Coast Guard. So all the chaplains in the military are receiving these. and It's, it's just something that uh, guys can turn to because it still is a stigma in the military to say that you have PTSD. But what I've recognized is there's so many other types of PTSD, not only from combat, but from traumatic experiences. And hmm. the, there's so many uh, uh, experiences that you can have as a child that can give you PTSD in a certain form or fashion, whether you relate to the, what had happened to you by a smell or a sound or, or something you see, but relating to that kind of puts you in a nervous state. Um, it's all a form of PTSD. But this, uh, uh, this program basically uh, lets you talk about it with other Christians and lets you know that, hey, God recognizes it. And uh, he realizes everybody does have issues, and uh, um, if you work with God, that uh, you can resolve these issues, and you can feel better about yourself, and you can deal with your PTSD. That's cool. Jeff, <clears throat> I have a question. Yeah. If, uh, for our listeners on the show, uh, let's say you know we had some soldiers on active duty, they came back, and they are Christians, but they're having a hard time uh, loving Muslims because of what they experienced uh, during uh, active duty, uh, what kind of advice would you be would you give to those guys? Get into the Word. Get in the Word and 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 see how God wants you to treat everybody else around you. I mean, just if you if you actually start reading the Bible and getting into the Word and finding out how God wants you to be one of His soldiers not your own, um, then I think there's, there's a lot of healing that can, that can take place right, right away, getting yourself in the Word. Are there any, like, support groups that you know of that uh, they could be a part of? Uh, I, you know, I, I know that this would probably be a pretty niche thing. Um, but just... Well, there's, there's uh, uh, Biblica, and that's uh, B-I-B-L-I-C-A dot com. 
is the organization that helped put together this PTSD Bible. Um, the, like I said, the Joint Chiefs of Staff have approved it for distribution, so there should be Bibles with most chaplains' office wow. offices. And if they're not with the chaplain's office where they're at, then they, they uh, should be able to request them. But uh, Biblico, B-I-B-L-I-C-A, Biblica.com, uh, does have a lot of resources for soldiers with PTSD. Yeah, I've I've checked out that that Bible and and your stories in there, and then even some of the other stories. It's a very, I think it's a powerful tool. It just kind of shares how some of the struggles that people have had coming back and with their families. And I mean, I just got to say, I'm 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 super proud and impressed because I think the way that things could have gone for you, and I know you would obviously point it all back to Jesus, but I've never sensed anything but love, brother, and I appreciate you. Awesome. Awesome. And, and, you know, right back towards you guys, I've, I've listened to your podcast and I am just so impressed and uh, well, I really you. didn't want to mess it up with, with the guy that didn't know a whole lot. You said booger eaters. It's impressive what you guys are doing and I absolutely love it. Yeah. Very impressive. <clears throat> well, we, cool. we appreciate you bringing uh, a perspective that's much needed, which is basically that, um, you know, we've got to hear what it's like for the soldiers that interact with Muslims and how difficult it must be for them to also reach out in the, with the love of Christ. And I think you've modeled it well, Jeff. And we I think so, too. It. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks so Thank much, man. Much. Thanks for spending time All with right. us today. All right. God bless you guys, man. Love you. Love you, too. Bye. Bye. We'll see you. All right. So this show wouldn't be possible without sponsors. And at this point in the show is where if you want to partner with us, we would put your ad. So if you want to be a part of the show, you, you want like, to partner with us. You like what we're doing. You want to be on our team, what have you. Bring this show to the world. Then email us and let us know. All right, Man, so... That, yeah. was, that was great. Yeah, that was... I, I don't know. I, I just never get to spend a lot of time talking to Jeff about like the past and stuff. So this is really kind of cool, this venue, to do I, this. I'm telling you... Since I've known him, since I was 15 years old, I've tried to get like a real live seal story. Right, noodling it. Yeah, to, yeah, like needling something. It to, to yeah, talk. just like yeah. you know, come on, give me a, and nothing. Right, nothing, and that's why I say no eye disease. Oh yeah, because he just has such a humility about him, and yeah, he better talk about other things. You know, yeah, he does, man. He's like that. Yeah, he just has a real I, I, okay. sense of humility so that like I've, you, I've really me, been impressed by. And a couple of guys, right? We come around, hang out, and we do this like hero worship thing with them, right? Like, man, Jeff, you're the man, you're the seal. You know, like, could you beat up these guys? You remember when we were younger, we were like that? Tre- Trevor and I have known that, each other I'm for still about... that way. I still want to hear story. <laughs> <laughs> me and Trevor story. have known each other for about like 18 years, is it? Like 17, Something 18? Like yeah, like we, we've been best friends for a long time. And so, uh, I, therefore, I've known Jeff for a really long time. And every time yeah, we get together, right. we do this hero worship, and he does not fall for it. No. He might tell like a little joke or a little quip, but like it's never been like this full on like yes, worship me. Like it's just never been that way. So I, I don't know. You get around other guys. Like I'm guilty of this myself. But like you, you start like telling hardcore stories. Yeah, yeah, they're not that hardcore. Yeah, scar stories. You you get around Jeff, and you're just like, oh yeah, here comes a good one. And then nothing. Right. Nothing. Right. And 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 he's just not interested. And it's not that he's aloof. He no. just he just he's very very you know humble gracious he laughs it off and then he'll change the subject and yeah. that's it. I mean, I've always been keenfully aware that I could have my windpipe removed at any given moment. So <laughs> that's right, yeah. one <laughs> false move <laughs> against Katie. But yeah, he's just been yeah 
great great guy yeah so um so if you really um are interested in kind of the 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 topic that we brought up today uh and want to read um American Sniper or Lone Survivor. There's a lot of things that uh, we've been talking about just over the the episodes um, that apply um, to you know what you'll you'll find in that in those books. Um, just to kind of warn you to our more sensitive listeners, there's a lot of cussing and um, violence uh, in there. So be noted, uh, be mindful of that. But, I thought you were talking about our podcast. I was like, what? No, 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 no. <laughs> about those books. If you're listening How to those books or, when I wasn't or, around or, or, <laughs> or reading those books. Uh, but I, I, I always find it really interesting to, to delve into anything Muslim, to be honest with you now, because yeah. I'm like, Oh, you know, this is, this is kind of interesting because this is what I've been learning or we've been talking about on the show mm. and, uh, and, and seeing those things come alive in people's lives and their stories like, you know, American sniper or lone survivor or whatnot. Yeah. That's pretty neat. You know, there's a lot of media uh, controversy surrounding the movie right now. And one of the things that I am I am uber sensitive about is if I feel like they're, that Muslims are being overgeneralized um, oh, right. in any sense. You know, I, I, I've been accused of like, you know, he's always defending the Muslims. And, and it's true. A lot of times I am because I feel like they are being marginalized or overgeneralized and right. I don't like it. And... But you know what? Actually, when I watched the movie, I, I'm not really sure where some of this media stuff is coming from, where people are saying that it really made Muslims out to be bad. Because when when there was the whole sniper thing going on, um, I remember um, leaning over to Joe in the movie as, as he was talking to his wife. And, and I said, you know, I really wish they would just show that this other sniper has a wife, too, just to kind of humanize that both people in war are people. Right. And they did. They did that, and I thought they actually did a really good job of not making it a Muslim thing, but making it just about war, right? good guys, bad guys, and of course, you know, depending on which side you're on will depend on who the good guy and the bad guy is, and yeah, so I didn't get I didn't get some of the things that the media hype was coming out with about it being anti-Muslim. Right, and I did like what Jeff had said about, um, you know, there there's good guys and there's bad guys, and not everybody's a bad guy, and when you're walking down the street and you're interacting with, you know, children and and uh, other men, you know, there there is potential, obviously, in a war zone, but uh, there's a, there's separation, and it's not just like, hey, let's get those Muslims. Um, it didn't feel like that at all. And you know what? Uh, one of the most surprising um, facts that I've heard about uh, uh, warfare in the Middle East, I think this was in the first Gulf War, they said more people had come to faith in Saudi Arabia um, than ever before in history because of the American GIs, well, actually the foreign GIs that were, were over there. Wow. Um, um, baptizing people in the in the deserts and sharing the gospel with their friends uh, that they had made. So, uh, you know, I, we'll have to fact check that, but I read that before and I was just like, wow, it is really interesting when, you know, um, war happens, there's a lot more that happens than just killing. Sure, uh, that's right. A, there's a story of humanity that kind of happens, crises and overcoming and, yeah, so in redemption even. And so it, it is really interesting to think that that part of it. Well, we know that God uses it, as we've said in the past, he uses the wrath of man to praise him, but we also see in church history that it was the Roman soldiers um, with the spreading of the gospel with the Roman Empire in the, right. in the first centuries of the church. That right, was during pretty, the diaspora. Yeah. And, yeah. So, good stuff. Well, that's it for this week. Um, we hope you continue to listen. And, uh, I, you know, the more we're finding out about the way podcasts work, and we are new at this, uh, we found out that reviews on iTunes really make a big difference as far as people listening. We're up to 14, I think. Right. And uh, most of those people I don't know. I, I think there's like a couple of people I know, 
uh, on there and I appreciate those people but it's really exciting when I get people that I don't know that yeah. are writing reviews and they're, they're positive because I'm kind of surprised sometimes uh, but uh, please if you haven't and you're listening to this please write us a review because that, that really helps a lot and we really want to get this message out um, to people uh, so that they can hear it and you know challenge their thinking um, and be encouraged. And even if you're, uh, you know, somebody that's maybe they're not interested in about uh, Muslims so much, but maybe they could benefit from just hearing Jeff's story about PTSD and uh, serving in the military. Um, you can just pass on one episode. Maybe the rest of the episodes aren't, they're not ready for those yet, but maybe they just came back. Maybe they're struggling. And uh, I think Jeff's story might be a good help to them. So, right. And we also love the comments. So if you did like this kind of special piece, because I know that we're on a break between uh, Nabil Jabour. Uh, which will start again next week. But if you did like this, you know, then send it, send us in your comments. Comments at truthaboutmuslims.com. And uh, we'll we'll try to do more because we apparently have a lot of people that we know that are interesting. <laughs> we could just ask them to come and be on the show. Right so, on. Yep. So anyway, thank you for listening.